welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. Today I'm delighted to be speaking to Mei Ling Thomas. So I met, I met Mei Ling um, two or three years ago at a uh, book launch. Uh, in fact, my publisher's book launch, if I remember rightly. Um, and Mei Ling and I had a, a really interesting conversation about education and, and how um, she was educating her children. Um, I spoke to her recently about whilst I was doing the research for the book and I decided that it would be really really good to have her on the on the podcast because she's got amazing uh, you know ideas and suggestions around education that I want to share not just keep for myself but actually share to our <laughs> listeners so a very warm welcome mailing um you're a coach and I'm going to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to to everyone first before we start our conversation Okay, hello. It's lovely to be here. Um, let's see, introduce myself. So I'm a home educating mother of two girls. They're seven and five. And uh, we live, we currently live in an ashram in India, which is kind of like a monastery. And basically last year, we kind of got fed up with living in London. We had a lovely, a lovely house, like a really lovely house. Um, and we had um, quite a large home education community. We had to travel to go and see them because London is quite wide. Um, and one day we just kind of decided that uh, it wasn't working for us. And because I'm a coach and my husband also works for himself, it was very easy for us to do that. And because we home educate, it was very easy for us to do that. Um, yeah, and so this, this is where we are now. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And straight away, I can, I, you know, when I heard that you had moved, for me, that was like, oh, wow. <laughs> it was a real, um, and I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how I saw it. It's a, you know, I saw you hopping off the hamster wheel and, uh, you know, giving up your lovely house in London which I'm sure loads of people would dream to have, um, you know, and, and giving up in a way um, what life tells you we should have or tells us what we should have. So, you know, the, you hop on, on the hamster wheel from a very young age and, you know, you get the qualifications and then you get the first job and then the, the partner and then the first flat and then the first child and then the yes. bigger house, the bigger car, you know. <laughs> and it seems to me that you've, you've chosen to hop off that hamster wheel. Is that my interpretation or is that how you would describe it as well? No, that's true. And it's interesting to hear you sort of, um, list it out chronologically like that because it makes me realize how long this has been happening like when I was a teenager I remember thinking I don't want to be boxed like this at school it was very um, you know I was pigeonholed as being academically um, good 
And so I wasn't one of the people to worry about or to, to get much attention. And I found that really frustrating and upsetting. And I um, was always sort of secretly rebelling and yet at the same time, very obedient. And so the rest of my life still looked like a normal life. Um, but when I had my first child, um, I guess there was more intensity in that, you know, in that realization of, but I want to have my own freedom. I actually really, really want to be free, not just have some choices. I want to be completely free. And then increasingly you realize, oh, and that means no longer working in a nine to five job for a really good company. Oh, and that means staying at home with my child and navigating that because I, I had a single, my mum was a single parent and so she had to work. So I also had these sort of conflicting influences of, but an independent woman will go back to work. Oh no, but a good mother would stay at home with her child and oh God, what do I do? You know, sort of navigating that journey and then that organically turning into, well, we're enjoying this freedom with our child, let's home educate rather than start to get into this routine with a nursery and with school. Um, yeah, and then it sort of has so far climaxed into, let's just eject ourselves completely and go and live in a monastery community. <laughs> yes, they're like really drastic sort of extremes, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I would not have predicted that. Definitely. No, no, and I'm, I'm sure it's amazing and right for you guys, so that's, that's really good. Um, and I guess that, that leads to the second sort of comment or question, is that two things for me that sort of came up is first of all you know this drastic sort of going into an ashram in India um, is definitely not going to fit everybody's sort of uh, map of the world okay and and can be seen by many as quite extreme way of hopping off the, the, the wheel um, and the second one is it feeds into something that we'd already discussed and I think I would like others to hear because it'll be really helpful. Is that, you know, home education is being depicted as being quite a hippie way of educating your children for a better word. You know, that it's not the norm, um, you know, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know many, you said in South London, you had quite a large home educating, educating sort of education community. But I guess because I, I personally don't home educate my children. I'm not really aware of that in, in the, you know, Bristol sort of North Somerset community. So can you talk to those two points first, so that our listeners don't go straight in a mode of, I'm going to shut down because this He's is crazy just... hippie. <laughs> uh, wait, what was, what was the first one? The first one was. The first one is your decision to move to. So you've decided to more freedom and, you know, effectively mm. hop off the hamster wheel. But to me, you've taken it to a bigger extreme in the sense that you've moved to India in an ashram. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. And obviously that's not the path that everyone has to take. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the really interesting thing I find about home education is that in the UK, in the law, um, it very clearly says that the responsibility for educating children lies with the parents. And when you think about the implications of that, that means that if you send your children to school, you are um, outsourcing 
the provision of that education to a school. So you're still the, the customer, right? Because it's your job to make sure your child is getting what you consider a suitable education. And, and that's the phrase, a suitable education. So UK law is quite good in my perspective because it says that um, suitable means for the child, it's appropriate and it's timed for them. And it means that they have opportunities available. So they're not stuck in one part of the country where they can only do one kind of job. You know, they are able to be part of the community in the whole country or, you know, whatever, whatever floats their boat, that they're equipped to be able to do that. So, so in, the, in the law, it's, it's really good, but most people don't know that because the hamster wheel is such that your children go to nursery, your children go to school, you go back to work, you need to be working. That's society. Everyone needs to be a productive member of society by working. Um, so actually, you could look at it that home education is kind of the default position, but most people choose to send their children to school. Um, so it's interesting that it was viewed as an alternative or as a hippie thing. And it's like we've internalized this view that somehow we as education providers are not equipped to do that. We, we need to be better qualified than we are. We need to know more than we do. And I was reading just this week about how um, actually schools are like a huge experiment because they don't know how people learn. They don't know how children learn. They don't even know how memory really works. So there's this huge experiment going on where we think we're educating our children effectively, but we don't really know. And before the last, however, it's like a hundred or so years of the standardized formal education, um, children were learning through life they were learning through their communities they were learning just from experiences um, in the main and what i see is that that's completely true is that that's how we all learn through an interest through a curiosity and you know even if your children are in school and you're at work or whatever you can observe how if something is interesting to you you read about it, you try it, you learn some stuff about it. You don't need anyone to tell you to do that. And you don't need self-discipline or restrictions or limits or anything like that to make you do it, right? There's just this, this zest, this curiosity that's innate in all of us. And so it seems to me like that's normal. That's normal. That this crazy view we've grown up with is that no, you need to go to school and someone needs to tell you what's worth learning and to teach it to you, to cram it into you. And then you come out as a functional person who can then go to work until you retire. And that, you know, nowadays I look at that and I think that's the crazy alternative view. Like the normal view is we are all innately creative and um, intelligent human beings that learn on the job as it, as it were. Um, we learn what we need and we can apply it as long as we're trusted to and we're given the opportunity and the support. And then who knows what the future holds for the children, for us, for humanity. That's so beautiful. And, and you know, I've been asking myself that question. So I told you, I, you know, I'm sure I told you last week, but I asked my, my youngest, why do I send you to school? And his response was, uh, so I go to school, you know, because uh, it, it, I want to challenge myself. And I thought, oh, that's 
lovely. And then the second one nearly broke my heart because then he just went, and also because you and daddy don't want us in the house all the time. <laughs> and, and then he saw my face, literally I pulled this face when he said that. And he looked at me and he went, but you know, um, maman, because obviously we speak French, he just went, don't worry because it's all parents. It's not just you and daddy. So I was like, okay, yeah, maybe you're right. Um, and, you know, because I'm researching for the third book, the questions I'm asking myself are this. It's like, why, why do I actually send my child to school? You know, I've, I've never even questioned that before, you know, until I sort of started researching for the book. Why? why do I just go along with this notion that they have to go to school and go to nursery and, you know, and primary school and secondary school and, you know, and even thinking further on, you know, why this specific, why this village I chose to live in rather than Bristol, because we used to live in central Bristol, you know, and, and really becoming aware of this. So before we talk about the, the actual experience of home, home education, have you had you always been i mean you you mentioned the fact that your mum was a single mum and you know and that you you went to school yourself so i can i assume rightly that you home education was never something that you'd considered prior to having children is that right so um i didn't know home education existed as a possibility um until secondary school when a home educated boy joined the school um, but before then you know it was it was never a choice and of course because my mum had to work it was never a choice um, and I remember having this thought at some point in secondary school of thinking when I have children I'm going to homeschool because I can do so much better than these teachers and then I completely forgot about it and it was only um, when we had Vanessa our first child I think she wasn't yet one and we'd met a community had a similar style of parenting and most of those parents had kids that were slightly older than me uh, older than me older than Vanessa and that was where we heard about them talking of you know about well what are you going to do about school and people were saying oh I'd really like to home educate and you know they were discussing the pros and cons and how you make that decision and there was one person in particular who talked about a type of home education called unschooling. And when I heard her explain this, something in me kind of went, oh yeah, no brainer. That just makes complete sense. And I went home and talked to my husband and we Googled and we had a look on the internet and read loads of stuff. And it was like, it just seemed like a natural extension to us of the way we had already been living. Okay, amazing. Um, and for last time when we spoke you were telling me about your your mum valued education quite strongly and you know because of, of of your background you know the fact that she was a single mum what was her response to your to your choice oh well you see my mum passed away before Vanessa was born oh, I'm sorry okay. <laughs> it's okay um because I it's a good point because I I'm Chinese so I come from this kind of background also because my mum my gran um she uh moved from china to singapore and there was a huge emphasis on getting an education because you know most kids didn't have an education 
and there was this real emphasis that if you get an education you can get a good job you can lift yourself out of poverty because you know it was seven kids and their mum and dad living in one room um and so my mum really had the strong ethos of kind of it doesn't really matter what you do get a good education it doesn't even really matter if you like it get a good education because otherwise you're going to be trapped so from that perspective it was like you know with what she had available this was the best option yeah but presumably that notion of getting a good education she probably would have liked the fact that you're giving your daughters the good education they need to be themselves i would imagine yeah i i kind of it's kind of ironic right that I have friends whose parents were not supportive of the way they parented, not supportive of them home educating, you know, having their own fears and worries about it because it's unfamiliar. And when I think about my mum, I think, I think she would have been incredibly supportive because as she was getting older, she was made redundant and she started trying to figure out who she was. You know, she realised that she'd spent her whole life serving her children, doing what she needed to do in order for us to survive. And then there's this point where you, you know, you have, your children have left and you've kind of got more time and more money. Now what do you do? You suddenly realise what was the purpose of my life? And so she was really going down this route of trying to f discover who she was and, <clears throat> and what she valued. Yeah, amazing. So in, in the introduction to sort of like the, the move from you know obviously the normal schooling to sort of home educate educating and and thinking about that for Vanessa you used several words so you used home educating homeschooling and unschooling can yes. you talk us through the linguist in me is like right <laughs> yes <laughs> three words okay what do they so stand for I said homeschooling when I talked about what I thought of when I was at school because I didn't know then that okay. actually in, in the UK it's called home education. It's called elective home education because you choose to educate your children at home. I mean, it's not really at home, but you know. Um, so homeschooling implies that you're recreating school at home and that is absolutely not what it is. It's not an alternative to school it's itself its own thing. So you're educating at home. And then the third thing I said was unschooling. Um, and there are other ways you can say it, like there's, it's very similar to something called autonomous education. Um, and it uh, overlaps a lot with consent-based education. Unschooling is, is about being in partnership with your child. It's about respecting that they have this innate capacity to learn and your job is to facilitate that and you do that by um, supporting their interests and then also strewing other opportunities for them so they can discover things that they don't know or not aware of amazing so the, the big thing about unschooling is that partnership thing because it is realizing that you're not a teacher and they're not a student you know, you're in this together and you're on this journey together. And of course, you may know more stuff and you're, you've been on this planet for longer. So there is knowledge that you have. Um, but the emphasis is that you don't you don't have like more power over the child or you're not dominant. And I think that's what I was going to say. So that, again, really challenges another vision 
of, of parenting and education, right? In the sense yes, that absolutely. our society says, you, the child, comes in, um, this tiny little thing that obviously is so vulnerable in the first few years of your life, so not to two, um, you know, and we, the parents, know better. So it's very much, you know, I, the mother with more experience, will dictate and tell you what needs to happen, how you do it, uh, very much, you know, my way or the highway. Um, can you talk to that as well? Because obviously that would be really challenging. You know, I, I, I personally don't have an, an issue with that. I just, I, I would <laughs> say to my boys, this is a partnership. You know, I'm not, mommy's not here to be your slave. And equally, you know, we work together in this house. So how do we make it work for all of us? So that, re you know, that for me resonates. But I have to say that 10 years ago, I probably wasn't thinking mm -hmm. like that. So for our listeners who are really in the old model of parenting, where, you know, you have to listen to what your parents tell you and do as they, as they say, what would you want to say to that? Well, so the thing is, it's a continuum because when a baby is a baby, they are vulnerable and dependent on you. So you have to make the decisions, right? You do call the shots and you're not, you're not home educating at that stage, right? Um, so there is this continuum where you are continually dancing with the child in understanding what can they, what can they cope with, what's their capacity, what's developmentally appropriate for them to be able to control, for them to decide, for them to lead on. So there's always this adjustment, right, of, oh, actually, you know, like with my second child, we were much more kind of, no, you can't have that, let's do something else. You know, but you, you could be quite clear with her and then you start to notice, now she's starting to think that that's not okay. And so I need to start bringing her into that decision-making process more. You know, there was a point where it wasn't a big deal, so I would just do it. And now there's, and now you can see, no, 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 she understands that, hang on, there are choices being made. I want to be involved in this choice, even if it's you give me three options and I pick one. And then, you know, as they get older, you start to realize that's not going to cut it anymore either. Now there's more, let's have a discussion about all the possibilities and you say you want to do this. Well, I'm, I do need to inform you that society doesn't think that's a good idea. And when we're out in public and stuff, maybe walking around in your pants isn't really what I should be letting you do as a parent. So we're not going to do that. But you can wear whatever you want. And like, really, whatever you want. So there's this continuum of, you know, how the decisions change and how much the child can handle. And as the parent, you really have to be alive to that because there will be times when you default to, no, we're just not doing it. And then your child goes, why? And you're like, oh, yes, you're right. I don't know why. I just think no, because I'm tired and I can't be bothered. But actually, okay, maybe you do deserve to be able to make this decision yourself. And maybe I'm, you know, wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that, that willingness and openness to kind of, 
to pay attention to your child, right? And the relationship with your child. And this is, you know, bog standard parenting these days, right? Is that what do you value more? Your relationship with your child or your idea about how your child should be? And it's the same with education. What do you value more? Your relationship with your child or what you think your child should be doing? Like how they should be performing, what they should be learning, um, what their future should be looking like. And like, if you sit back and, and really reflect on, well, do I really know, do I really know what my child needs to know in the future? No idea. Because 30 years ago, as a 10 year old, I didn't know what I'd need. Well, my mum, you know, see, well, my mum thinks she knew what I needed. No, she wouldn't know. The world has changed so much since when she was a child, you know, and, exponentially the internet technology has just changed things immensely so knowledge information is available really easily so it always comes back to that okay well if knowledge is available easily information is available easy it doesn't really matter right now they can always pick that up so what right now is it important for my child to see me modeling? What would I love them to internalize? It's that I always come back to my relationship with the child because I love her and I want her to know that. And I want her to know she's supported and that whatever she wants to do, I'm behind that. As long as it's not like hideously illegal, um, I would totally support her. Yeah. And then they internalize that. You know, and it's like, God, if I'd had that as a child, what would my life look like now? What yeah. Like? yeah. You know, to have and that I agency. Yes. And I think what, so what comes up for me here is two things. Is the first one is, you know, if we are in the system that requires us to be on that hamster wheel, the issue is that as parents, we often don't have that headspace to actually be present enough to to notice <clears throat> you know what's going on right so that's mm. that's that you know so being a full-time working mum I notice that very often that if I if I've got so much going on I'm not as present with with the, the boys and then when things are a bit calmer and a bit more focused and therefore I reverse back to I'm going to control this situation and this child because I want it to be smooth and I want us out of the door and all of those things yeah so yes. and and so like this week I don't know what Tom was doing and I got a bit annoyed with him and you know he turned around and you know he's 13 so he's starting to answer back fair enough you know he's got an opinion and and I said to him don't you shout at me and he looks at me and he went well what were you doing just now I was like, <laughs> told <laughs> and I just stood there and I didn't know what to say because I was like yeah that's a fair point <laughs> so I then sort of went oh I'm sorry yes you're right but what I'm trying to say is you know I want this, this to be a relationship so we need to respect each other and you know I was getting angry because I felt you weren't you were not respecting my boundaries and so I apologize I shouted but equally 
can you see how if we both start shouting to each other it's not going to work and he went yeah fair enough he said like fine but you know and then he just went and I too have boundaries so how are we going to work with that together wow what a and great I conversation loved, I know and I loved it but it made me think and I'd love to have your view on that is then you know I know my husband is much more like old-fashioned and sort of like you know and he works in the construction industry so it's very much my way or the highway and I have to remind him sorry love you're not on your building site <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know um and I understand for health and safety reasons and stuff but this is not a building site okay yes. um and I think the, the one thing that I was really trying to reflect on is okay so yes it's fantastic we're having this conversation we're talking about our emotions and all of this openly but I know a lot of my friends would say but you are allowing him to be like this obnoxious sort of person who responds to an adult um you know and how is that okay because then they become you know what you hear some people say you know the the um the, what's the expression we, we use in english the uh, children as, as king king and queen and you know they're like the they think they they are it and they're really important oh well in my view in my view um in that situation if it had been an adult that you were talking to it would be exactly the same to me in that there are two people who um are both sort of losing sight of reality in that moment getting wound up and then they make up at the end and then they start problem solving about what to do about it you know it's why why is it any different if it's a child you know what's so different about a child apart from maybe that certain parts of their brain aren't as well developed or whatever but i'd argue that for many of us adults we've all got trauma in our history we're probably not that well developed either um yeah i i guess it's yeah it's, it's hard do you know it's hard for me to relate to that that point of view anymore because I guess I've never seen myself as a responsible adult. <laughs> so it's sort of trickier to take that. I'm the adult in charge and you're the child. And so you need to know that this is the way it needs to be. That's fascinating in itself. That's yeah, isn't fun. it? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I guess, yeah, I just sort of think, well, for me, it's like the same for any human, right? And when we lose sight of, of what's really happening and we get confused by thoughts in our mind and we start feeling a certain way, we, we become a bit unreasonable. We maybe start shouting. That's just the human experience. And it doesn't matter if you're a child or an adult. We all, we're all prone to that. Um, so for us to expect to treat a child differently to an adult in that situation, I find quite weird. It's like, if it was an adult, let's say it's my husband who's lost it, the best way I could respond would be to be compassionate. But, oh, he's just a bit upset right now. Okay. I'm not going to join him in that upset. I'm just going to be here and be like, I can see you're upset. 
and you know you can tell me what I did that seemed to trigger you and and through that we'll find a way where we're both feeling good again because our relationship is important and then we'll solve this you know it's like I would treat my children the same way where the moment I realize I've gotten really annoyed ah it's not about them that's me getting annoyed because I think they're doing something they shouldn't be doing or something like that okay I just have to own that and say sorry I got caught up in in that chaos sorry I shouted let's let's go back to the beginning tell me again what was it that was that you were trying to tell me or, or whatever the situation is for me there isn't a clear distinction of why you would treat someone differently just because of their age I love that I love that notion of yeah we all regardless of whether we are three five or you know 80 we're all human beings suffering and so therefore it's that uh, we're all in this together right um, yeah yeah mm. yeah and just think of what like from a sort of a meta perspective just think of what your child is learning when you treat them with respect when you treat them like there's no big problem here it's just that we've we've crossed you know we're at crossheads it's like yeah okay yeah. we can get over this we resolve it that's what you do in this situation dear child you know we don't turn it into a power struggle i don't make it into something where i have to show you that i'm the one that's right because when they go into other situations with other people you don't want them to try and fight for top dog with those people do you you want them to be able to communicate and to collaborate that's what we're um, inherently built to do mm. so yeah let's keep supporting that that's the way yeah. i see it no and i love that and that and you know the end of the conversation with with tom was literally you know that there is nothing that we can't talk about so you know whatever's going on for you please know that there's nothing that's off limits or you know that mm. that i can't hear and um, you know and and thinking in terms of what i wrote in my second book that to me is the most important thing a child can hear because if they get to a stage where life gets too much just knowing that there's one person you can talk to and pick up the phone to is what can make the difference so mm. i'm really glad that i've had the opportunities the opportunity to do that but that you know that required me saying i'm sorry i i i shouted when you know clearly it's because i've got too much going on and i shouldn't have tried to shouted and you're right you know you have a right to <laughs> therefore shout back but that you know right. can, you, <laughs> can you see how the dynamic then becomes you know and and so how are we going to change that to, to to look again and i think it goes to the values and what we believe in is if we believe that our relationship is is more important than anything else then we will change you know because if i thought i the adult needs to be right then my approach will be different and it's about the intention underneath it isn't it yeah yeah, and I, I think a lot of, you know, a, a more conventional, traditional response of sort of reacting to try and control things is, is more based in this fearful upbringing that we've all had, you know, that life is to be feared or we need to survive, we have to fight for that survival, we have to compete with each other. 
Um, and yet, to me, it seems like that humility that you show as an adult to go, oh, I got it wrong. Sorry. You know, just because I'm older doesn't mean I'm perfect. It really gives our children permission to be human. And the best things about being human are having that relationship with other people and how much that can transform people's lives, you know, when you can have a really honest relationship with people. And you can't do that, right, if you're raised in this kind of power hierarchy because you're always in this fearful position, even maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, that if I do something wrong, um, if I do something naughty or something that they don't approve of, I'm out, you know, then love gets cut off. And how hideous that is. How, how horrible for a child, for any human being, to feel like love is not unconditional. Mm. That as a human being, you don't deserve love inherently. You only deserve it if you behave the right way. For me, that's, you know, an underlying thing that we see in society, that people feel that love is conditional. And then they can't do what they really want to do, what they're called to do because they're afraid of what will happen. They're afraid that people will stop loving them. Yeah, and then you become compliant, right? And obedient. Yes, yes. Yeah. and not questioning. Yes. yes, which is, which is in a way, you know, doing the research I'm doing is, and the, the slightly cynical person that I can be. <laughs> I just think, does it serve a person that, a purpose that we as human beings come into a system standardized you know cookie cutters of you know not asking questions being obedient fitting in the system and not getting your head above the parapet and you know asking questions being curious mm. yes totally agree mm. yeah and, and yeah and and like in the last year or so, you know, in my continuing education about life and society, um, I've seen that to a greater and greater extent. And, and it's horrifying, right? Because you realize how much you've internalized that. It's become part of who you think you are. And so it does take this humility and this openness to really consider that maybe that's not part of me. Maybe that, um, maybe all the messages we've received and not who we really are okay if they're not then what does that mean and that's one of the great things about unschooling especially is that you can ask those questions and not be afraid that oh my child won't respect me if i don't know you know it's like actually i'm encouraging my child to be curious and to not always have a black and white answer for everything everything so many things depend on the situation so many things depend on your mood. You know, everything is subjective, really. And the, how that allows you to be flexible and adaptive and to have a more rich and fulfilling life because you're less looking for problems. You're more looking for ways that you can encompass and, and um, enjoy what's actually here rather than trying to make things look a certain way. Mm. And it's... I guess that's what I'm seeing in, you know, in my research again currently is how, you know, in our education system, we teach absolutes. So like there are absolutes, there are, you know, and absolutes create 
you know, there is the answer, the solution, the truth. And that creates dogma and dogma creates right and wrongs. And, and therefore, you know, removes the asking questions, the curiosity and it, and, and that, that to me is, is a big, big issue because I mean, look at COVID, look at Brexit, uncertainty is the norm. We don't know what's mm. coming next. Mm. And if we start teaching people or young people mm. in particular, there's one answer, one way of doing this, and it's at the back of a book. And, you know, age, what I'm also hearing from young people in, I'm interviewing currently is this, you know, you're, you're 15, you need to decide the path you want to take oh, it and, yes. and make those decisions and stick by it. That is, is contrary to what life is showing us. I mean, you know, even nature, look at nature, how like for us in, in Britain, it's autumn. So I love watching the trees change their, the color of their leaves. You know, the leaves are just shifting because of the change of temperature. The leaves are not hanging on to the, the, the tree going, I'm not coming off, you know. So, um, I mean, you know, how does unschooling fit in with that idea of, of you know, no absolutes, no truth, but very much, you know, what I talk about in, in the podcast, it's like my truth, your truth, and how do we make that work for this relationship to work? Um, I think the, the main way it manifests is that as the parent, you have to let go of this idea of what your child's education should look like. And, you know, you've been raised with this idea that a good student, a good education looks like this. And the reality is that in front of you, you've got this living, breathing human being with their unique set of talents and preferences and interests. And you may have an inkling, but you don't know what their future will look like. And so it's sort of crazy to prescribe for them that at 15 they should know what they should be doing with the rest of their life. You know, they should have a vocation of some kind. I remember being 16, having to pick my A-levels and because I was good academically you know it was really hard to decide and I remember one of the teachers saying oh why didn't you pick my subject and my friend saying well because she has all of these subjects that she would have liked to have taken but she can't she has to narrow it down because the system says so and I remember being so frustrated with that it's like why can't I have longer to enjoy all of these many things why do I have to narrow down so suddenly I mean, the UK system is particularly bad for that. I think there are other systems where you can have a broader education at those ages. But then, so when it comes to unschooling, you know, it's realizing that um, we try to prematurely make our children independent before they really need to be. And actually things can go slower. They can take longer and nothing really gets affected in a negative way. Like, if, if my child takes longer to read, which she is, because I'm not trying to make her learn, does that necessarily mean that she'll be behind, behind 
you know, her peers in education. I don't see that to be true. I observe her learning so many things across a huge breadth of, of subject areas or whatever you want to call them. She's learning so many things about life and she's connecting them together in really clever ways that you wouldn't get if you said, right, today for this hour we're doing maths and maths is this. And now we do English and English is this. You know, you compartmentalize everything. But if you, if you don't do that, then your brain can, can create all these amazing rich connections that mean creative thinking and critical thinking are just much more available. You know, it hasn't all been sort of shut down. And then who knows what the future will be. But in order to do that, you as the parent or the, the facilitator, you know, you really have to relax and pay attention because there'll be voices in your head going, she's not learning quick enough, she's not learning the right stuff, she needs to show me what she's learned. You know, I need to test her. And you have to relax and watch, well, let me see what learning looks like. Let me, let her show me what learning looks like. And then sometimes you'll hear them say things and you're like, oh, they've made that connection. We've never talked about that. Oh, how did you know that? I don't remember ever having seen that. And then you start to realize, oh, it's okay. It's okay. My idea that she learns all the time, it's true. Okay. So I can rely on that. I can rely on that. So if I can rely on that, then it's more fun, right? There's more joy in that where we can just do things that are cool and interesting and we can be inspired and follow that lead and go off down that road for as long as we want to and there'll be all these things that spark out of it. Like there's one thing, you know Minecraft, the game Minecraft is, is incredible for that. How much kids can have their own ideas and connect ideas from all around the world and then build them and and you know, there's just so much creative thinking that goes on and so much teamwork when they're playing multiplayer and they're all buzzing from each other. And it's like, that's, that's a really good example of how learning can happen, not in a normal classroom, not with textbooks, not with a teacher. Yeah. And that, so there's several things. I'm noting them down so I don't forget them to ask you <laughs> as, as you were speaking. Um, so what I'm hearing and as a mum who's not home educating and as there's part of me that is being triggered so I I know that my listeners will be as well our listeners <laughs> the first thing is what you are saying yes on a deep level absolutely but it to me just means that yet again I've got to challenge the paradigm and the truth that and separate learning from schooling or whatever it is because to me I think this has been muddled in a sense that learning and I you know the mention of your daughter not not learning to read quickly enough actually I think you know I've seen it with Jack so Jack would never ever read in the evenings my youngest not interested so I've left it you know, and school is saying you've got to read five times a week and note, note it in this book. Not done it. I don't care. Okay. He doesn't want to read. I'm not going to force him. Suddenly, he's discovered these 
books um you know like diary of a wimpy kid and you know oh, yes. another one he's constantly reading and he's like i want you to buy me all the sets and i love it and i sort of said to him okay would you like me to write in your in your diary because the teacher said please write five times a week in this diary to me and he, his response no i don't want you to write it in the book because it takes the fun out of reading uh, <laughs> i love children <laughs> <laughs> I wrote on the, in the diary to the teacher, sorry, Jackie's reading five times a week. He's loving it. He doesn't want me to write in this book. So please take it as you know, granted that he is reading and he's loving it. And I don't really want to start bringing anything that would prevent him from wanting to read. Um, well, that's, that's so key, right? If it's interesting, he'd do it. But evidently, the other stuff they wanted him to read, or you know, having to read for somebody else's pleasure, or you know, because someone else tells you to, why would you do that? It just doesn't make any sense, right? No. So intrinsic motivation. Uh, you were saying, yeah. like, with your daughter. You know, so I use Jack as an example. But with your daughter, when she needs to be able to read fluently to do whatever she wants to do, she will find a way to learn quickly right yeah i mean because we live in a in a literate society right if we weren't exposing her to books and stories and 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 showing them that words exist if there were no signs or anything you know if there were words nowhere then maybe she wouldn't because why would you you don't need to but in our society so many ideas are conveyed through words that every human being has to learn how to read and um, yeah, and I, I just don't see any reason why she wouldn't. And so she doesn't need the pressure from us to say, well, what about now? Because maybe her brain is not ready to. And I remember one of my friends sharing some information of how um, for like English comprehension, they realized that the more contextual information you have, the, ease, the better you are at, comprehension yeah. it's like you don't actually it's not the words really that matter right it's the understanding of what the words are trying to convey and I, ha I have found myself recently thinking I would quite like her to not read as long as possible because then I think she won't she won't put as much emphasis on her other senses you know the way she's sensing the world through sound and through feeling when I when we're like learning a song together, because they sing songs every night here, I read. And so I, I, I have to read. It's like the easiest way for me to pick up the words. She doesn't read, she just listens. And she picks up the words through listening. And I think, I wish I could do that. Because they're not in English, they're in Malayalam. And she can do that. Whereas for me, it's like, no, all the pathways have kind of been built for reading to be the quickest way to learn. And it's like, maybe it didn't have to be that way. Maybe it's nicer to, you know, maybe you get a fuller understanding of the music and of life by using all of your senses, not just relying on one. So mm. I do kind of feel like, well, reading and writing will come. It is coming already. So I can't stop it now. <laughs> it's a bit like, you know, when your children start to walk and you think, oh, that's great. Oh, no. Now they can walk. <laughs> 
Yeah, you've got a bulletproof the house. <laughs> yes, I was looking forward to it as a milestone, and now I'm thinking, oh, I could have done with longer with them not walking. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And the other thing that came up when you were talking is this, what I'm hearing you say, and again, that I think obviously currently with the system as it is, it cannot be tailored for, is the need to look our child as a unique individual who has unique needs and possibly is here to explore different things. Um, and so, I mean, you know, my two couldn't be a, a, a better example of this, you know, one is like so academic and the sponge and so interested. So last night he was telling me doing something for ethics around like the soul and he's like, tell me what you think the soul is. And, you know, it's just really interesting. And then Jack, who's just, not so interested in those subjects and in the academic aspects but interested in many different other aspects mm -hmm. um, and it's this notion of a getting to know our children and b then allowing them to be themselves rather than being these cookie cutters of you know this is the standard this is what they should be achieving at this age etc but that is so you know against again again the paradigm and the the concept and as parents we 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 go with the system and the you know your child is uh, at expected below expected above expected and all of those things so i mean <laughs> you know for our listeners you won't see your physical reaction this is the real like oh my goodness what is she so talking shuddering about? <laughs> yes. like cringe massive cringe okay um so you know the, the two thing is like really it's about you know if we we're not home educating but our children are in the system how do we foster what you seem to be fostering with your children, which is this sort of like whole person, individual, you know, it's okay to be you. What? Well, just like pay attention to your child, right? I mean, the thing is, it's, it's what we all do in the beginning, I think, you know, how could you not? You have this, you know, this love for this other human being and it's not like you love them because of what they do. Like I remember having this realization once when I'd had a, um, not an argument with Vanessa, but she was throwing things, hard things at me. And I'd had this misguided thought that I should allow, you know, allow her to express herself. And then it dawned on me, it's like, no, I need to stop her from doing this. Cause if she then goes on to murder me, you know, she wouldn't want to do that. I have to set some boundaries, right? I know this is, this is the way brains work, right? Um, <laughs> But I remember having this realization through that process of, oh, I'm still treating her like my love for her is conditional. And I remembered that when she was in the womb already, I loved her, you know, and she, she I couldn't see her then. I couldn't see her doing anything to delight me. Her very existence was what created this feeling of love. Um, so I think that gets lost, right? That, that, that real essence of the relationship of parent and child gets lost through this focus on a goal, you know, of getting them through the system successfully, of getting them into life. And it's just a case of sort of 
while making the goal of being here with your child now and enjoying what you have right now, then there's space for you to be curious about how your child is, what they're interested in. And, you know, just paying attention to that, just giving them that gift of listening, that creates this mutual connection, this mutual respect. It creates that foundation where your child knows that you care, you know, not just that you love them, but that you show them that you love them through listening. And of course, I'm a coach, I would say that, right? To me, listening is such a key thing that most of us don't really do. You know, we're always listening, um, thinking about the next question we're going to ask or listening for what we want to hear. And we don't even know we're doing it. We've just been trained to do that. And so it can be really tricky to just kind of go, I'm just going to listen. I'm going to listen to feel whatever it is my child wants to tell me. I'm going to listen to have an experience of what my child is experiencing. I don't even have to ask any questions. I just listen, you know, with my whole body almost. Just, just feel to have an experience with my child. And that to me, it doesn't matter whether you go to school or whatever, because you create this fundamental container for your child. Like, you know, like what you've described with your eldest, where you can have robust discussions with them and they know that they're loved. They know it's okay. And through the teen years, my gosh, that's going to be so important, right? And things are so complicated right now for kids. So having that foundation where they know you know, even when my mum or dad are triggered by what I say, they're still willing to sort of be here with me. And that's all I need, right? That's all anyone really needs is for someone else to go, okay, I'm here. I'm not going to try and fix you or change anything. I'm just going to be here and be present for you to have your experience of life. So for me, you know, I think we talked about this last week of how it's not that home education is for everyone. I don't see it as a solution for everyone. I wish that schools were created in such a way that kids could go and be with other kids of different ages, learn from each other, learn what they are interested in, be facilitated that way. You know, it doesn't seem like that should be impossible to me. And then the parents can still have their own interests and do their own work that fulfills them, you know, and also earn money and pay for the bills. Um, you know, it's not that, oh, you should all be pulling your kids out of school because that's the only way your children can learn any sense of, of value in themselves. It's like, no, no. But as a family unit, as the family unit, you can do that. Mm. And then they can do whatever. They can go into the system and know that this is the system and they're just doing it for whatever reasons. But they know that fundamentally they're valued for who they are. That to me is the most important yeah, thing. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Really beautiful. And I, and I had one final question and I'm quite reluctant to ask it now because what you just said <laughs> is so beautiful and I almost want to end that conversation on that. Um, you know, the, the one thing that I know people who are listening will be thinking about is boundaries. And you use that word about boundaries because, you know, again, it, it's, you know, sort of enabling our children to understand that their actions have consequences and that they will have to live with the consequences of those actions. Nobody else. Um, 
and the, the the safe boundary. So I often refer to the boys to the notion that, you know, those it's almost like having a balcony, knowing that if you're if you're on the third, fourth level when you're a child, you've got a balcony that keeps you safe. So you're not gonna plunge to your death because you don't understand that, you know, that that you need that protection, right? And then as you mature, then you can start removing the balcony because you, you're not going to jump <laughs> effectively. And this is the analogy you know, in my head in terms of like the, my role as a parent is that at the moment I'm sort of providing with the, the boundaries and as Tom is getting older and getting into teenage years, it, it's that. But there, I know a lot of people I talk to about home education is this, it's like, you know, like for example, a lot of my friends would say, I'm struggling with the games. So you talk, talk about mind, Minecraft, but you know, for boys in particular, as they get into teenage years, it becomes like, you know, a fortnight and, and screens and all of this. And I know that a lot of people and myself included think, right, okay, in terms of boundaries, do I need to, I mean, you know, my research says ideal time for screen time for any, anybody, adults and children is two hours. Uh, you know, so there's so many conflicting conversations around screens and around boundaries. Can you talk to that as our sort of like final point for, for today? Oh, that's a meaty one. <laughs> Boundaries. It's, it's an interesting um, example you give there of, of a balcony because that's protecting you from death, right? And I wonder how many day-to-day -day circumstances your children are in where they could actually die. Like in reality, if you allowed them freedom, how often it would result in death. It's like, infinitesimally small probably yeah. yeah so I think perhaps that analogy doesn't really work when it comes to um when it's no longer about life and death safety because then it comes about discernment and um one of the things about unschooling is you give your children as much choice as they can handle as early as possible because you want them to be able to learn to make choices and you want them to learn on small things so that as they get older and they have to make more and more important decisions that they know they can make decisions and they know they can trust their judgment and they can make mistakes and that that won't mean that they're ousted from the family right so um our approach is very much about not arbitrarily saying no to something because we're worried that it will result in disaster um, when we feel like saying no like that we have to investigate well is that really true what's that based on and there is an awful lot of um, research that contradicts itself but also there's lots that says oh screens are bad but there's also lots of research that says well, when you look at what they actually do, actually screens can be really good. Um, but I, I think there is some division here. So, so when, you, you, when you allow your child to use a device 
as a babysitting kind of thing and you're not there and you're not interested in what they're doing and you're not present with them you know you're not in connection with them that's a very different scenario to if they're using a device and you are there with them and you're interested and you're involved um, and not necessarily sitting there playing with them you know but you're in a still in a connected space with them and you can tell that they're in a good mood and you can tell that they want to tell you stuff about it you know that's very different um, there's also the element of if you put a time limit on it then the child will know that there's a limit and so they want to make the most of the time that they have and if they know there's a limit they might also want to try and get more of that time than you actually allow them and there becomes this kind of weird sort of bargaining negotiating behind your back kind of thing that can happen because they know it's not allowed and they know that for some reason it's denied and forbidden and you know that does kind of make it a bit special so if you can refrain from from framing it that way if you can be um proactively involved then actually devices open up this huge opportunity for learning and for enjoyment and that's yeah, I, I guess that's, that's one of the sort of things about unschooling is you start to realise that learning doesn't necessarily need to be measured all the time. You don't always have to be monitoring progress. So what about if your child remembered a really happy, glorious childhood where they felt free and they were full of joy and connection with their family? You know, wouldn't that be amazing? Why, why do we try and box it and try and direct it all the time you know school makes us do it right the system makes us do it yeah. but do we really want to be doing that is that really good for our children so for us um because we were lucky enough to find some of these ideas before our children were older we've always had unrestricted access to screens and there's a huge variety of stuff that our girls do on it it's never like they're just watching videos all day. It's never like that. There's always this kind of ebb and flow of games that they play by themselves, with their friends online, with each other, with us. They're always telling us things, they're always quoting stuff, they're finding things that are related, they're noticing similarities. And sometimes they get fed up. And it, it's like us, right? You get fed up with something and sometimes you keep going, even though you're really annoyed. And sometimes it takes someone else to go, it looks like you're really annoyed. Maybe we should take a break. And they kind of go, no, it's all right. I'm just really annoyed with this. And just even that is enough, right? And then they kind of calm down and everything sort of finds its flow again. And sometimes they're like, oh, you're right. I'm not in the right mood to play this particular game. And then they go off and do something else. And it's having that that ability for them to know that you're there supporting them to, for them to be aware that maybe they're not paying attention to their body they're not realizing that now would be a good time to shake or jump or run around um, but then because you do that for them externally they are becoming more aware of it too and it's just this learning curve right to me it seems like everything else where you learn your own limits and what makes you feel good and what doesn't and how when you do this thing, which you keep doing, it always ends the same way. And maybe one day you'll realize that that's really not that good. <laughs> and you don't want to do that anymore. 
and then you'll decide not to do it. But if you rely on someone else to police it for you, then you lose that ability to, to know yourself, right? You rely on someone else. Um, and I think for technology, that's, that's so fundamental for me because it is so interesting and it is so juicy. The imperative is even more essential that, that children learn for themselves how to notice, I've had enough, I stop. And they, I, I don't see how they can do that if we're always going, you've had enough, now stop. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely right. Okay, amazing. You know what? I could speak to you for hours on end. I mean, it's so fascinating. Um, thank you so much. I, I always ask um, my guests when we finish the podcast to sort of like, if, they, if you had to finish with one thing, one final thought, what would it be? How convenient today. I just found this quote from a guy called Alan Watts. And um, he says, the whole point of dancing is the dance. And I just thought, yes. It's not about getting to the end of the dance. It's not about getting somewhere. It's about really enjoying the dance that you're in. And that's what unschooling is all about. It's about enjoying life right now, you know, right now. Not for preparing your children for some distant fictional future. It's can they live right now? Can they enjoy it right now? That's what you're here to do. That's what, as a parent, I like. That's the greatest gift that you can give your child. How beautiful. And when you were talking, I was like, that's what I said. That's the word I used in my head. It's a dance. It's literally you just have to watch the next move and decide what move you're going to make that's in harmony with the person in front of you. So how amazing that you just <laughs> perfectly aligned. Thank you. Um, thank you so much, Mailing. Just absolutely delightful to uh, to hear what you've got to say, and you know, for enlightening us around you know unschooling and home education. Um, I've certainly learned so much, and that, and will be questioning a lot more of the things that I do as a parent. So. Um, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it and we hope to see you soon. In the meantime, take care and we hope that you are flourishing.